As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. This is The Athletic Baseball Show on The Athletic Podcast Network. Welcome to the Athletic Baseball Show. It is Friday, February 18th. Derek Van Riper here with Keith Law on this episode. We'll dig into more of the great work that Keith has been doing at The Athletic. It's complete. The prospect rankings are out by team. The system rankings are out. I want to start today with the top system rankings that you put out there because, uh, like most people, I was uh, appalled to see that you had the Dodgers ranked as the best farm <laughs> system in baseball. Just- Nobody's happy about that. Certainly not Giants and Padres fans or the radio slash podcast uh, hosts I've spoken to. They are not happy. It just doesn't seem fair that a team with the resources <laughs> they have at the big league level could have the best system in baseball, but where's the next wave of help coming from in this system? Where are they going to get the biggest boost in the near future from the prospects they have in the system right now? That's a good question. I I mean, I think hopefully I'm answering the question the way you wanted me to, but it's pitching. There's a lot. God, there's so much pitching coming. So much incredibly athletic, often high upside pitching. And God, they just keep finding these guys later in the draft too. Nick Nostrini in the fourth round, Emmett Sheehan in the sixth round, both guys pitching. That's just over the summer, but still, like both guys pitching like they should have been first round picks before we even got to Labor Day. And, um, you know, Bobby Miller, first full season, goes out to fall league, suddenly looks like, I mean, look, he was a first rounder, but now it's like, whoa, he should have been a top 10 pick. I mean, guys, it's not a coincidence. They do a better job drafting than most clubs, and they do a better job developing than most clubs. And they really, if you talk to people at the Dodgers, too, there's just so much integration across the entire organization, too, that, you know, I, to me, I would not uh, dismiss the importance of that, too, of running your organization that way, mm-hmm. where everybody's talking to everybody else. And so you're drafting certain guys with an intention of, hey, no, we know that our player development group can do a lot with this type of player. Is it also outspending other organizations on the people that are in the development pipeline? Are they spending more on 
scouting and development and front office people? Is that part of, of how they're building this the way they have? I mean, they definitely have a lot more scouts than most other organizations. I think that's fair. Um, like, I think they have just more staff than most organizations, but um, that's not a lot of money. I mean, I think that's the thing that's maybe missing here is that it doesn't cost that much to do things the way they're doing. Supposedly they have one of the two or three largest R and D staffs. And I believe they have one of the at least five, maybe, maybe it should be a lower number, but at least five largest scouting staffs. Um, And yet if you add all that up, it turns out hiring people for your baseball operations department who aren't players doesn't cost that much money. These are not, you know, you could hire 10 of them uh, for the cost of the major league minimum for one player. So it, it, it just kills me the extent to which MLB is trying to push these things top down that are aimed at, you know, this idea of we, we have too many minor leaguers under contract. And instead of saying, well, look, you only have to have a minimum of, say, 120 minor leaguers under contract, but you could have as many as you want, really. If you want to have 180, sure, that's fine. Instead, Major League Baseball's idea is, no, nobody can have more than, hey, Dick Monfort, how many did you say? <laughs> like, enough, right? It's just, it's so penny-pinching. It is self-defeating. It's hurting the industry. It's hurting individual teams. It's putting a lot of people out of work. And yet, you have teams like the Dodgers and Rays, especially, who continue to invest in people not just players but in people people drive your processes you can have great processes but if you don't have the right people the processes aren't worth anything i think anybody in the business world will tell you that and those two i highlight those two they've both been to the world series recently one of them won a world series they were both contenders last year they are both very likely to be contenders again this year because that because of the investments that they've made in people i think that's the biggest thing that separates those two organizations from basically everybody else. I think from the perspective of other ownership groups, you look at the success the Rays have compared to the Dodgers, look at the differences in the big league payroll, and you say, well, we got to be like the Rays. Like, even The Dodgers are, are the, the luxury item, right? They have so much money coming in from their TV deal. They, they have a bigger payroll, I think, because of that. That's the key difference sure. for me, like in terms of why they outspend every team most years. That totally makes sense. But when the rest of the league says... Let's just do it like the Rays. That's good enough. That creates the problem that we're experiencing right now in the form of the lockout. Now, the Dodgers specifically, I mean, the the pitching you're talking about, Bobby Miller, I think Ryan Pepio is pretty highly regarded here as well. Do you see see, big opportunities for them, at least in the bullpen this season, just based on the way this team's currently constructed? Yeah, probably. Well, just because I think there's always opportunities in the bullpen, right? Anytime I see a pitcher who looks like he's likely to be ready for the majors in the upcoming season if there's not a clear opening in the rotation or if it's a team that we know doesn't necessarily love to accelerate guys yeah into the rotation it's very easy to say well he could help in the bullpen yeah miller pepio you know pepio just does not have the command and control that he's gonna need to up oh, cat <laughs> you called it by the way folks who don't know derek said at the beginning he's gonna want to get out uh, well, you're gonna, actually, you're gonna have to wait till I answer the question. Within ten minutes, that's that's how cats are. They oh, they yeah, want absolutely. in, they get in, and then they I want out. I guarantee you, I'm gonna close this door, and he's gonna meow to come back in too. Guaranteed. Jerk. When the Egyptians domesticated the cat, 
they didn't breed the jerk part out, right? That's the not. lost opportunity. And now we're just stuck with it forever, apparently. Certainly an evolutionary adaptation of some sorts probably kept them alive. No one bothers them out in, out in the wild because, no, don't, he's a jerk. Just leave him alone. Anyway, yeah, I could see a bunch of these guys. I could see Landon Knack ending up in the Major League bullpen. I mean, I know a lot of guys, you think he's probably a reliever anyway, but there's, you got to, I think they got to continue developing him as a starter, but you're the Dodgers. You're trying to win. So you also have to look very creatively at your personnel and how do we best deploy these people, these players, to field the most competitive team we possibly can. That may mean taking a guy you firmly believe is a starter and putting him in the bullpen. That may also mean trading him. I would not be surprised at all to see a couple of these pitchers traded if the Dodgers decide they need something else at the major league level this year. They may not. They may say, yeah, we already got Trey Turner. We're, we're good. We got that. Or maybe they go out and say, we're, we're going to... We're going to roll with one of these kids as a fifth starter. You know, we'll just go through spring training. And if somebody really seems like he's ready, we will roll out there with a fifth starter. We got a few guys we can go through in that spot. And then if we have to trade for someone in June, we can do that too. Yeah, they, I mean, they can really just sit back and say, we're ready. We're, we're fine. We don't need to add anybody else because they have that kind of depth. They have guys who aren't prospects anymore that can fill important roles. Someone like Mitch White or even a mm-hmm. healthy Tony Gonsolin could be a difference maker in the back end of the rotation. I think what's interesting about the Dodgers right now, you know, because of the Scherzer-Turner trade last summer, having Turner at short, second base is sort of the open spot. Presumably, Gavin Lux gets another opportunity and... I know he's not a prospect anymore, but Keith, like we've talked about it a couple times, I I can't get past the idea that Gavin Lux was so good in the brief time he spent at AAA and he was so young for the level that this is all he's going to be as a big league hitter. It just seems really unfair to take any player with 500 plate appearances and say, yep, that's that's who he is. But I still think there's a very high level offensive player lurking there that could emerge to be now kind of a post-hype sleeper almost in some circles for the Dodgers. Oh, yeah. I actually, I think there's better stuff coming from him this year. I think he's only going to be 24 this year. He was not bad last year, right? He was, he came up in 2020 briefly and wasn't very good. And I think he wasn't good out of the shoot last year. And so maybe some people have kind of given up on him. But then you look at the rest of the day, other than maybe hits the ball on the ground a little bit too much. But for a guy who runs okay, that's not the worst thing in the world. He's not doing it 55% of the time. And this is not... um, you know, uh, uh, Matt Vierling, who's a prospect in the Philly system who hits the ball extremely hard, but with 55, 56% ground ball rates. And he's not really a runner. He's not a, not, not the guy, kind of guy where you say, no, hit the ball on the ground. That's fine. Matt Vierling needs to put the ball in the air. If Luck's hitting the ball on the ground at a 45% rate, he can still be a pretty good big leaguer. I'd like to see a few more line drives, but I can live with, with that, with what he is because he's got plate discipline, because he makes plenty of contacts. I think he's going to hit the ball hard and because he can, play a position up the middle and I think do it reasonably well. So, no, I'm on it. I haven't done my breakouts list. I won't until we know what when we're actually getting a season. But I think he's pretty likely to be on it. He almost made my list last year. A reader said, what about Gavin Lux? You know, it's not a bad choice at all. Um, But since he didn't have that breakout last year, I almost feel more conviction now in saying he'll have the breakout this year. Yeah, I think for me, the thing that I'm always looking at when I'm number scouting for breakouts, I'm looking for improved plate skills, a K Mm -hmm. rate that went down, a walk rate that went up. Lux did both of those things. That's a step forward. I think when you start to put that piece together, everything else can fall into place after that. There's obviously some power. There's a little bit of speed there, too. So if you're thinking thinking about him from a fantasy perspective, might get you some stolen bases. Those are hard to find. But the... 
the puzzle for the Dodgers, it looks so similar to past years. You got Chris Taylor who can still move around and do typical Chris Taylor things. Left field sort of like their revolving door spot in the outfield. But A.J. Pollock on a per-plate appearance basis is a better player than people realize. Yes. He's dealt with a ton of injuries, but he's an underrated player. You, know, you get the possible bounce back from Bellinger. It's exactly why you could sit here and say they're fine. They don't, they don't have to bring back Kenley Jansen if they don't want to. They've got a great bullpen already. They've got enough pitching depth with the addition of Heaney, with Gonsolin and White as carryovers, with Dustin May eventually coming back from his injury, yep. and then the prospects they have. So uh, if you're a Dodger fan and you're saying they have to do more, you're you're wrong. <laughs> they just right. don't need to right no. now. They, well, that's the thing. If the Dodgers just, if Andrew Friedman came out and said, we're good. We're done. Whenever baseball comes back, he'd be like, start the season already. Like, we're, we're ready to go. We're fine. Who could argue? Yeah. Name the time and place. I, I'm not. Like, on paper, the Dodgers are more likely to get to 100 wins this year, I think, than the Giants are. I think the Giants have a couple of reasons, one of whom is named Buster Posey, why they will probably take a bit of a step back this year. Now, that may still make them a playoff team. Well, who knows? If Manfred have his, has his way, it's going to be like the NHL playoffs in 1982, where everybody but five teams didn't make it. It's like, well, if you're not actually the Colorado Rockies of the NHL, not the current franchise, right? Everybody else gets to go to the playoffs except for that. And I, Giants are probably still a playoff team, but I don't think they're as likely to repeat as the Dodgers are. And so the Dodgers have a better argument to say, we're just not doing anything. We're going to roll with what we have. And we have plenty of young players, not just pitchers, but young players close to the big leagues who will allow us to not make a major move right now. You know, because to me, almost from a long-term strategy perspective too, they could easily do that and say, it's, we're not done spending money, but we want to roll with what we have, evaluate some of our own players, some of our own younger players, and then make a decision. What if you give Gavin Lux another 300 at-bats to start this season? And you and I are wrong, and he doesn't get better. Well, then they could say, all right, that's, we need to go make an investment then. We're going to have to be... We probably go outside the organization. They have some prospects who could be good second baseman. I think they're probably two, three years away. So maybe they go out and trade for or sign somebody for the next two, three years. But why do it now? Let Lux play. You, you have the luxury, no pun intended, of allowing him to do that. You have the luxury of maybe rolling somebody like Landon Knack out there as the fifth starter for a month to see what it looks like because – they're probably good enough to win 100 games, even with some little experiments like that. Yeah, and I think even if they went down the path with Lux, were unhappy with him midseason, there would still be teams that want to trade for him. There would still be teams willing to give him more of a look and try to fix him and try to help him unlock what we saw from him as a prospect. So I think they've they've got that as a, an option too, even if they're if they're that upset with how things go for him in the first half of this season. Uh, other top five organizations that I think are worth digging into. We've talked a lot about Seattle on the pod since the time you and I started doing this show together. So we're not going to talk a lot about the Mariners today. But Arizona staying in the NL West third in terms of the system ranks, which is a rare opportunity to be excited if you're a Diamondbacks fan. And is Alec Thomas for you a guy that's going to see a significant amount of time in the big leagues? Because there's a, a depth chart that I see is full of opportunities, whether it's adding a, a temporary free agent or promoting someone like Thomas, like there's a, a clear path to playing time. Yeah, I think so. I think he should. I think he's ready. I question how much power there's actually going to be at the major league level. I know he kind of went off when he got to Reno. 
you know, it's like hitting on the surface of the moon. I don't want to read too much into that. And I just don't think that's the kind of hitter he is. I think he'll hit the ball hard. I don't think there's going to be a lot of home run power there. But I think he can really hit, really hit. I think he really play the outfield. He's got speed. He's going to play his ass off too. He's just that kind of player. He always has been since high school. Um, I've always kind of been a, a, a bit of a fan. I had him ranked as a first rounder the year that they got him in the, the comp round or the beginning of the second round. And he's actually probably more than fulfilled, exceeded my own expectations for him, with, especially with how fast he's moved for a cold weather high school kid. Um, you know, he's not Mike Trout, but he's like in that category of, hey, don't dismiss the cold weather high school kid. If they've got athleticism and they have a decent idea at the plate and they've got the work ethic, they'll surprise you every now and then. Yeah, I think that was one of the big surprises for me looking at Thomas. I mean, with all players uh, not having a minor league season in 2020, we expected performances to tank for a lot of guys just kind of getting back into the swing of things, and especially those who were playing at an elevated level for the first time. He was playing at double A as a 21-year-old, so he was young for the level. The K rate was still really good, 19.8%, had a double-digit walk rate, showed a little bit of power, 10 homers in 72 games, and kept the K rate down even at AAA, which I think is less of an achievement in 2021 than it was in years past for all the reasons that we mentioned. AAA just wasn't very good. It's almost like the AA results last year for Thomas carry a lot more weight in part because of what you said about Reno and just in part mm-hmm. because of what that level turned out to be. Not his fault, but just really passed each test that he had last year. And uh, I, I wouldn't have been surprised at all if a player with that background actually struggled in those circumstances. Yeah, I actually agree with everything you said. Uh, I'm not going to be surprised if anybody, any player comes up from AAA or especially from AA to the majors and struggles. Given what we saw Jared Kalanick do, and I still believe Jared Kalanick's going to end up a very, very good major league player and make some all-star teams. Look how hard the majors were for him. Super talented, succeeded everywhere he'd ever played, athletic. And he comes up and hits so badly he had one of the more deserving demotions we've seen in the last couple of years. Like He earned that, that option back mm-hmm. down to triple a and hey majors are majors are really hard right now and i think there's even more separation from the minors than there's ever been i i just don't know quite how to quantify that it's a more of a belief based on observation than based on um statistical evidence but i will say it's i hear it a lot from scouts too and it's it matches what i see speed i see a lot see high a more than any other level and to me there was a noticeable drop in the caliber of play in high A from 2019 to 2021. Hoping we get some bounce back in 2022 with a more normal sort of off-season trajectory for for players to kind of continue their off-season development. Obviously, it's not easy for players at those levels given the costs involved, and that's something that Britt Giroli wrote about earlier this week for The Athletic. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. 
Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. The other uh, Arizona player that I think is pretty interesting this year, not a prospect anymore, he's graduated from those lists, is Dalton Varsho. Because once they gave him regular playing time last year in the second half, it started to click. He hit 290 with a 349 OBP, slugged 530. Is he more than an occasional catcher for you at this point, Keith, in part because of Carson Kelly and, and in part just because he's good enough and athletic enough to play other spots. He's never been very good behind the plate, right? That was a guy that if you talk to Arizona people, they were, they were always, no, we think he's going to catch. He can really catch. Um, and then you talk to anybody from another organization, they all said, no shot, but he can really hit, you know, and he can run. He's athletic and he's agile and he's got like actual fielding skills that would apply at other positions. So you just pick another spot and tell him, you know, find some place you know he can adapt to fairly quickly, and say, "Just go hit." That's that's why you're here, and I'm I'm in. I remember the reports on him were kind of mixed out of college. I think it was he would, I believe he went to a D two or D three school, and um, you know he was a not a very good catcher as an amateur. So there were sort of reasons to not dismiss, but to be skeptical of what kind of hitter he'd be when he got into professional baseball. It's kind of all he's done is hit, actually. So I I believe he's going to hit enough to be an above-average regular at some other position. It won't be catcher. And as you said, they have Carson Kelly, who's got his got his flaws, but I think he can really catch. Yeah, he's a good starting catcher, at least. Mm-hmm. I mean, Varsho in center field, okay, like they might be pushing it as far as long-term yeah. value, but... like him better in a corner. If you're Arizona and you're facing an uphill battle in the NL West, playing Dalton Varsho in center field, that's not a crime. That's that's totally fine to play him out there and see what happens. Because if it works, then great. That's a huge win. If it doesn't, move him to a corner later on. But it sounds like you believe in the bat. You think he is the kind of guy that is going to be what a top of top third of the order hitter, not necessarily a middle third run producer, but maybe a really good table setter. Yeah, he's got a chance to be your two hitter, which, you know, to me is that's the best hitter in your lineup until Corbin Carroll arrives. Corbin Carroll's the guy. Obviously I think he's their best prospect and he's just barely played, but I also think he's extremely polished and I expect him assuming the shoulder injury is completely behind him to get off to a great start this year and, tri- and that Arizona will probably try to move him quickly. But until Carroll arrives, who's the two hitter in that lineup? It's probably Varsho or Marte. Or am, I, am I forgetting somebody? Yeah, top of the order there. I mean, some combo. Catel Marte, David Peralta might hit a little high in the order initially. You can fit Josh Rojas up there. I don't know. He's more of a utility guy that's being Mm -hmm. played a lot more than he probably should be right now. So, yeah, it's a pretty quick path to that prominent role. I think the second half results are a reason enough to to give Varsho that opportunity and and see how it goes. Like, why Mm -hmm. why would you not do that? Uh, They've also got a shortstop coming up. Geraldo Perdomo did get a chance last year. It was really an emergency situation, as you included in the write-up. So I don't think that was what they wanted to do with his development. They tried it. It didn't go well. But he put it back together in the minors. I'm kind of curious what you think about his bat long-term. Is he more than just a good defender at short? Uh, yeah, I think so. And they they worked with him to 
try to restore some things in his swing also and felt like by the end of the year, he was really much more the player that we had seen prior to the pandemic. So they're they're pretty optimistic. I'm pretty optimistic. And he's, I, I always like the bat, but he got into kind of just some bad habits early. And who knows? And you call a guy up and he realizes, I mean, imagine, you know, you jump up, you're, you're super young. He was, he'd barely been in double A, I think, at the time of the call up. I don't have his baseball reference page in front of me, but and then suddenly you get to the big leagues. Whoa, never seen any pitching like this before. Do you maybe fall into some bad habits because you're just trying to survive? I don't know if that's actually what happened, but my understanding is they saw some small things that they felt like uh, just needed to be addressed to get him back to the player that he was before. No, I think he's a, a good defensive shortstop who's also going to be a very good offensive player for the position. You still like him as a switch hitter long term? I think he can switch hit. I don't think he has to stop switch hitting. There's plenty of those guys around the minors. But it's a better swing left-handed. He's got all of – you hit all of his six homers last year from that side. I, I think you just let him go rather than you know risk him maybe becoming a platoon player if you try to undo this and just say, okay, it's going to be worse from uh, when hitting right-handed, but that's less of the time, way less than half of the time anyway. Um, you know, And he's plus defender. He can really run. He's – got the arm for shortstop you know i said even if he never comes into double digit homers he's a solid regular but i think that he's going to fill out enough that he might peak in the 15 homer range which would make him you know, above average regular maybe a guy who makes it makes an all-star team or two it's a nice core of young players coming up on the position side i mean carol who you mentioned I, the sky's the limit i think for him as a hitter it's just a matter of, of health and cruising through the last couple levels of the minor leagues jordan lawler who they drafted Last summer, I mean, obviously, he's going to take a little bit of time, but it's nice to have a guy like that also coming up as part of the next wave. What about the pitching? Where do they stand with the young pitching in this organization? Do they have some help possibly for 2022 in that group of top prospects? My guess is you will see some of those guys get to the majors this year. I don't know how much they're going to help. You know, I think the problem that the Diamondbacks are running into is that that front office has been there for a while now, and they're sort of pressured. Why, why is this team not? visibly improving. Well, the farm system is great. There's a lot of talent moving towards the big league, some of it quite quickly. I don't think they're winning 90 games this year. I think they could be better than they were last year. I think they should be better than they were last year. And they should at least start to see the fruits of that, of those efforts. Um, you know, I had Ryan Nelson rated as their top prospect because I thought he had the best balance of their of the whole group when you're balancing sort of the potential upside based on his stuff and his command right now, um, you know, and also what the, what's the floor? What if this guy kind of never gets better from what he is? Dre Jameson has more upside, but he's less of a sure thing. And Brandon fought to me, might be the highest probability guy because it's a great fastball. Fastball really plays. The delivery is really good. He's built for durability as much as we think we know about that. Like it looks like it'll work. Um, he throws a ton of strikes. You know, maybe Brandon Fott could can. He's out of a Division II school too, which is always kind of cool. I especially root for those guys. Could he come up, maybe make 15 starts for them this year? Yeah, probably. Should they try to push some of those guys just to also say, look, they're coming. Help is on the way. I kind of feel like they should at some point. And I'm not saying to do it for PR reasons necessarily. I think it's develop- It's the appropriate for the development of these players. But I could understand even ownership saying, all right, you've been telling me you're building this great farm system. Where is it? Alec Thomas will get there. Some of the pitchers will get there. You hope Carroll and Lawler, who had the same injury Carroll did, 
that they get healthy enough and go out and just have big years in the minors so you can start talking about their ETAs again. I think there will be some help this year. I think there's even more coming behind those guys. Yeah, maybe a little boost to attendance, too, if you start bringing up these young players midseason this year, get through some of the, the growing pains this year, and start to close the gap on other teams in division more in 2023. I think that's mm-hmm. a, a more realistic sort of outcome. Obviously, it was just a miserable year for Arizona a year ago. Sort of a, a dead cat bounce seems likely with this young talent. Like, even if they didn't have young talent coming, it seemed strange they were as bad as they were last year right. as they were constructed. We talked a lot about the Rays. They're among your top five systems. We're not going to dig too much in, into them here. I'd like to kind of skip down to the Blue Jays because I think they've got a, a really interesting problem on their hands with catching depth. Alejandro Kirk is already up. Gabriel Moreno, who's number six on your top 100, is their top prospect. And he sure looks major league ready at this point. So what's your move if you're in Toronto's shoes? You've also got Danny Jansen, who's at least a capable big league catcher, even if he's you know, far behind those two guys in terms of his true ceiling is this part of the answer to how they can get an upgrade somewhere else in their infield via trade what's the solution yeah moreno's the catcher of the future obviously i had him as the sixth best prospect in baseball second best catching prospect in all of baseball i don't think he's ready to be their everyday starter right now i would not put him on the opening day roster i would let him go to triple a um once the lockout is resolved and let him go to triple a and if he goes there and destroys triple a for a month great Okay, that's fine. Um, And then we call you up afterwards. There's no rush. This isn't Adley Rutschman where, hey, this guy's older and he's done absolutely everything you could ask a player to do. Moreno turned 22 this week. So he's got a little bit more time. And he missed a lot of time last year, too. So I don't think there's any downside to having him go to AAA for a bit. They have three other catchers on the 40-man roster. And Kirk is the only one who I think has a chance to be someone's everyday catcher. Reese McGuire, to me, I would have just probably outrighted him just to clear 40 man space at this point um i mean i can't believe they kept him and not samad taylor who is one of the few guys i think is i don't spend a lot of time on the rule five but there have been a couple guys who've popped up it's this guy could get taken this guy could get taken it's samad taylor reasonably likely to get taken good utility infielder for somebody i would have kept him and let mcguire go mcguire's just he's a backup catcher it's all he's ever going to be so i was a little surprised that they made that choice. And Jansen just has not, you know, what has he ever done to make us think he can be an everyday catcher for somebody? He's not stayed healthy. Um, he has not ever, he's never really had offensive performance uh, to make you think he could potentially play every day. He might really be the better backup, right? He's the, the good backup. When Moreno gets there, if you still got Jansen on your roster and he's the backup for a couple years, great. Because then you trade Kirk, right? If Kirk really is an everyday catcher and Moreno is just like barreling along behind him, maybe you trade Kirk. I don't think you trade Moreno, personally. I would not want to trade, I'd probably never trade somebody I thought was a top 10 prospect in baseball. But I could see them playing Kirk to start this year. And if he, if he does really well and Moreno does really well, nice problem to have. I think the one you keep is Moreno, though. I'm still kind of baffled that Kirk is listed at 5'8", 265. That just doesn't seem possible. <laughs> I know you, you look at him, he's a big he's a big guy for a short guy, but it just seems weird to me. And, and he's, he's athletic in the sense that it's like functional athleticism. He's a good hitter. He makes a lot of hard contact. And how, how viable do you think he is behind the plate long term? Is he, is he a That's- legit catcher for 
four to six years, or is he really a part-time catcher who's better suited to go DH? Yeah, you just worry about the body holding up, right? I mean, I feel like if he can't catch, I don't know that he's a DH, right? I don't know that he's a good enough hitter to be somebody's DH. Also, if his body starts going under the wear and tear of being a catcher, then then I don't know what he is. You know what? Then he's a backup, right? Then he is a backup who's going to play 30 games. He's going to catch 30 games a year, and maybe he DHs 10 to 15 times a year, and he's a pinch hitter. That's probably what that might actually be more likely. He will spend more years in the big leagues being the player I just described than being a starter. I feel actually you're reasonably confident in that. And it's basically because of how he looks. I'm mm-hmm. judging him by judge me by by my size, will you? Yes. Yes, Alejandro, I will. Unfortunately. I'm sorry. But that's a tough physique at a very demanding position. And I know we like catchers who are stout of build that is the one position where you can most easily have that some some people would tell you it's an asset but man that is a de- that is a debilitating position to play even for guys who are in excellent condition and i just worry about kirk breaking down and nothing against him it's just that is very hard to be built like that and stay healthy yeah we're talking about a guy that's had actually a wrc plus of at least 144 or better at every stop since 2018 and then he had a 106 in the big leagues last year. So productive everywhere he was in the minors, held his own over a longer window of playing time last year, had an injury that cost him some time too, which unfortunately like took away pieces of the puzzle, right? If he wouldn't have been hurt last year, I think we'd have a better feel for what he truly is as a big league player right now. I think it's still a little bit more of a mystery as a result of that lost time. Yep, I, I completely agree. I mean, look, that's we're going to say that about a lot of players in the first half of this season. Well, you know, first half of the hypothetical season, shall we say, that look, there were a lot of guys we didn't get full looks at last year, shouldn't overreact to what we saw last year, except then I end up in the sort of camp, but, but that's what we have, right? We only have so much data. So just sort of put wider error bars around the data or the observations from last year. But hey, if a guy wasn't very good last year, is that more reflective of what he is, or is it just rest slash it was an unusual season last year? I don't know. I it, it is it, I, this came up so often when writing about prospects who, especially prospects who I think are better than what they showed us last year, right? And there are so many guys. I mean, I know you've read bits and pieces of it at least because you've asked me questions about the prospect rankings, but I feel like so often it was like. And he only played 40 games last year. Oh, he only played 53 games last year because he was hurt six times. What? I? Who knows, right? How good was that? Somebody asked me about, oh God, I can't remember who the player was, but why wouldn't Everson Pereira, that's who it was in the Yankee system. Why wasn't he on your top 100? He played 40 games and he got hurt again twice. And this guy's been hurt. And I like Everson Pereira quite a bit as a prospect. He was a just missed prospect on my top 100 four years ago. But every single year, except for 2020, he's been in pro ball. He's gotten hurt. So, and once again, last last year, he slugged 600 in about six weeks. Is that who he really is? This is the opposite of the problem I'm talking about where I think a player's good and he doesn't perform. This guy, I think he's good, and he, but he performed it like he should be a top 20 prospect in baseball. And I just have to say, I don't know. It's flying blind, uh, even more so with prospects because there was no 2020 to, to look back at. Even in the big leagues, though, with established players, I was thinking about Mike Moustakis the other day. I'm like, people were excited about Moustakis 
as a, a power bat addition in Cincinnati when they signed him, maybe they didn't like him in year three or four of the deal because of how they thought he was going to age. But he had COVID issues in 2020, only played 44 games out of the 60 that year, only played 62 games last year because of injuries. How much decline is in there and how much of that was just poor health and a shortened season? I think we have all these different puzzles in our analysis from all different levels as a result of what 2020 ended up being and then subsequent injuries or issues that players dealt with just a year ago. Yeah, he's and he'll play at 33 this year. He was a little bit above a league average hitter in 2020 and way below a league average hitter last year. And he was hurt. and He barely played. Would not surprise me at all if he just bounced back and was just like dead league average. If he did that this year, you know, I don't think that's what the Reds thought they were getting when they signed him, but I think he can be that guy. Um, you know, and what I would worry about more with him is he's just not a good defensive player kind of anywhere. Um, I mean, heck, if the DH is coming to the National League, maybe he gets some reps at DH or, or you know, he moves to first base and Votto gets to DH, right? There's a good you know, maybe they've got player other players who could potentially fill in on in the spots where Mustakas can play. Maybe you move some other guys around to get him to, um, you know, to the easiest defensive position you possibly can. I just looked. Yeah, he played mostly third base when he played last year, and he's not very good there anymore. It's been a long time since he was actually good over there. So you know, maybe playing him somewhere else keeps him healthier, and he can be a little more productive for the last two years of the deal. Universal DH suits the Reds really well, given Eugenio Suarez, Mustakis, and Votto. They can only play one guy there. That's the problem. You can't put four guys there. At least with first, third, and DH, at least you can play all three guys without forcing someone's yes. defense to be up the middle when it shouldn't be, right? I mean, yep. you're saving that. Uh, one other Blue Jay thing I want to ask you about is Kevin Smith. A little old for, for the top 100 list, 25-year-old, but made some adjustments in the minors and I think he's just kind of ignored because probably the age. I mean, you're looking at power, speed, a nice season from a AAA in 2021, hit 285, 375, 61, didn't have a gross strikeout rate, walked more than ever. Is this real? Is this kind of a, a late adjustment that could actually pay off for the Jays? So in this case, I actually asked the player. I just reached out to Kevin through Twitter and said, hey, you're Swing totally changed last year. What'd you do? And then he talked me through a, quite a bit. Actually, he was extremely helpful. And it's always interesting to me when a player can tell you about his swing or his approach in pretty fine detail. And he did. He really did. And he said a lot of it was actually going back to the way he used to hit all the way back in college. But it, he and the team, the team probably more, had tried to do something, some things with his swing that just didn't work. And he ended up extremely vulnerable to certain pitches, especially fastballs up. And he felt like it was for him, it was kind of to use the cliche, getting back to basics. This is the way he pretty much always hit before. And that with some work that he and the team had done, I think on pitch selection, earlier pitch recognition, I think it's very, very real. Now I had a scout text me in like June or so after Smith had gotten off to a huge start and just raving, raving about what he'd seen. This guy's a, this guy's a regular. He put him in his, Actually, I think he put him in in his report as an above-average regular in the big leagues. And my reaction was, oh, I saw this guy in 2019. He wasn't good. He didn't perform. And when I saw him in 2019, he really wasn't good. Well, yeah, because it was a swing that was simply not working for him. So credit to the kid for also you know being able to undo an adjustment like that and recognize I need to get back to this formula that worked for me. And I think he tightened his pitch recognition a little bit 
that I, I, I just believe it's real. I absolutely believe it's real. And I said in somewhere in my write-up, uh, I think in the Blue Jays org report, he should be an everyday player for them this year. And if that means Kevin Biggio moves to a bench role, well, that's kind of where I always thought he belonged anyway. Smith's a better defender and a better hitter. Yeah, they've got, I mean, right now, Santiago Espinal atop the depth chart at a spot. Biggio's atop uh, the depth chart at second base. Someone's going to have to probably come in via trade or free agency to take one of those spots. But you could see Kevin Smith, if he's not part of a trade to bring someone else back, that could also be part of the solution, too. You could see him ending up playing a lot more in 2022. Are you struggling to close deals? B2B selling is tougher than ever, and that's why I want to tell you about LinkedIn Sales Navigator. One more great product from LinkedIn. You're there to network, you're there to look for jobs, you're there to post jobs. And how about LinkedIn Sales Navigator? It's a sales intelligence platform that helps professionals effectively prospect and engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator helps you target the right buyers, surface key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and shows you hidden allies so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date, first-party data enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash baseball show. That is linkedin.com slash baseball show for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash baseball show and get started. If you're as obsessed with basketball as I am, then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs. Hey guys, this is JJ Redick. Twice a week, I'm cooking up something special for basketball junkies on my podcast, The Old Man and the Three. I bring on guests in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, like Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash or Paulo Bencaro on his shooting workouts with Kevin Durant, Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron when they were teammates in Miami. But it's not just about the player interviews. Every Monday, I break down the top three things happening around the NBA without the outlandish takes. Often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler, we dive deep into topics like rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is mean mugging now a tech? The Old Man and the Three is the only companion podcast you'll need during the playoffs this year. Be sure to listen to The Old Man and the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. Let's talk about the Pirates for a couple of minutes before we go because they narrowly missed the top five. Things are tracking the right way in their rebuild. Which of their young players do you think we'll actually get to see in Pittsburgh? It should be more. It should be about more than just the beautiful ballpark if you go to a Pirates game this year, right? You'll get to see a little bit of young talent. It is a nice ballpark, though. It is a really nice it's park. It's actually still my favorite. I think I have three left I've never been to. I haven't been to New Texas. I haven't been to New Atlanta. And I've actually never been to Safeco. It's a great regret, but it has never worked out to go see... You know, obviously I don't travel just to see major league games. I will if I'm in town to see an amateur player and I can go to see a major league game. I often will. Um, but yeah, there just have not been... Corbin Carroll was a, a nearly impossible get for me his spring and he played... It was private school baseball in the greater Seattle area. It's not really quite the caliber of competition I'm looking for when evaluating a position player. You take what you can get. But I wasn't going to fly across the country and possibly see him get walked four times. Anyway, it's a long way of saying I haven't been to Safeco, but PNC is my still my favorite ballpark of the ones I've actually been to. Um, 
As to your question, who will we see this year? I feel like O'Neill Cruz is in the big leagues somewhere this year, right? We Has saw him at the be, very yeah. end. Um, and you're, if he's there, you're going to see him. He's kind of hard to miss. <laughs> Who's the tallest yeah. guy on the field? Who's the guy who looks like he shouldn't be standing at shortstop? Yeah, that's him. You got him. He's he's right there. Would yeah. you give him a shot at shortstop, though, even though he's six seven, Even if you don't expect him to stay there, do you just see if he can do it? I guess so, because you're not contending, right? Because you can. The only thing that makes me hesitate is, you know, Kevin Newman last year actually played the best defense of his life at shortstop. I mean, just, there's no offense there. But if you say, all right, this is, you know, sort of one last chance for Newman to show himself to be a regular, do you do that and play him at shortstop and just accept the, the very, very likely outcome that Cruz moves? I mean, I've said for a long time, Cruz may move to the outfield. He's big for anything on the dirt other than first base. You don't want to put him there. It's a waste of his athleticism to put him at first. So do you put him in right field? Do you put him at, at third? Well, no, wait, we got a guy at third. So that doesn't make any sense. Well, if he's not going to play short, you're not going to put him at second. That's even funnier. So do you just put him in right or center? Well, you probably don't want to put him in center. Maybe you just move him around. If Cruz is willing, maybe you just have him play a couple different spots. I, I would... My reaction is nearly always leave the guy at the position till he absolutely positively has to move off of it. And that is not true with Cruz. As much as I believe the odds are Cruz will not stay at shortstop. He is already one of the two biggest players ever to play a single game at shortstop in Major League history. There's a reason for that. That said, he has not reached the point where you say no shot. So it's the only reason I hesitate, but my gut still says... Move him around to a couple of spots. This is kind of a last gasp for Newman. And if Newman doesn't hit, then he's a bench guy. And it's, you know, they've had, the new regime has had two years to work with Newman to try to restore some kind of impact to all the contact that he makes. I mean, that's what he does. He puts the ball in play a ton, but it's, you know, at a scout, call it soft serve. Soft serve to the second baseman, soft serve to the shortstop. Like, man, you can't be a big league regular like that. It's the Nick Madrigal thing. The same thing I've criticized Madrigal for. Newman is is that and more so at the plate. And so I think, you know, very much there's a, a, you know, Newman's very much under the gun right now to produce something because I think their alternative is if Newman comes out and plays horribly in April, doesn't hit, they could just option him or even outright him at that point and say, all right, we're going to play Cruz 50 games at shortstop and see what it looks like. Yeah, definitely makes sense. The uh, other prospects that are close to the big leagues that we'll almost certainly see for a prolonged stretch here, Ronzi Contreras, I think yeah. seems like a, a clear path into the big league sort of guy. And he's taken a big leap since they acquired it from the Yankees as part of the Jamison Tyon deal. Yes. Yep. Started throwing harder. I believe it was his elbow, his forearm barked a little bit last year, came back through really well again in fall league. We should see him a good bit. I think in the big leagues this year, don't know if it's really to start the year. Do they try to do something to manage his innings too? Just recognizing that he did miss some time last year. So, but I, I think regardless, I think we'll end up seeing him, uh, in the big leagues, probably a good bit, maybe more than half of the year. I'm scanning through their list to make sure I didn't just forget somebody. And I'm not sure how much else they're going to see of their prospects this year. No, they have a lot of prospects I like. Obviously, I said what I say, they were the sixth best farm system. There's a lot of upside there. But, you know, Nick Gonzalez isn't far away. They spent the whole year in high A. I'd be surprised if he was up in the majors for more than a month or so. Matt Fraser, who I just find incredibly interesting because he was another complete swing change guy, went from no power in college to 23 homers last year between high A and double A. 
Maybe he starts at double A and is set up to come make his major league debut in July or so. But in terms of guys who might spend more than half the season in the majors, I think you got it. I think it's those two. Yeah, it'd probably be guys outside the top 10 on your list. Guys like Diego Castillo, maybe Travis Swaggerty, Tucapita Marcano. Swaggerty is, he's in the Corbin Carroll group, right? Well, actually, maybe even less so, right? Carroll's just good. Carroll's ready to go. He just needs to play. Swaggerty, they've been trying to restore some things in his swing. Maybe it's a little more like Kevin Smith. Imagine if Kevin Smith didn't get 500 plate appearances or whatever he got last year to show the swing change. Well, Swaggerty didn't. He played a 12 games last year. Hurt his shoulder, season over. And so we really didn't get to see is have the swing changes they've tried to make to get him to stop trying to pull the ball for power. Instead, just be more of a gap-to-gap, whole field, kind of hit first, power is incidental. Man, he's got... We need to see a lot of reps from him. One, to see if it worked, and for for the Pirates to see if it worked. Because if it didn't, then they need to try something else to give him some potential value as more than an up and down guy. It's just a, a better cast of players knocking on the door than they've had in a couple of years. So I think that's the the reason you might actually want to watch some Pirates games this year, even if you're not a Pirates fan, but especially if you are, it'll be a lot more enjoyable. I think even if they're a bottom feeding team in the NL Central, again, they should at least be a fun one along the way. We have to go before we go. We got a special offer right now. One dollar a month for the first six months of a subscription to The Athletic at theathletic.com slash baseball show. It's the best deal that we have at any point during the year, so be sure to get in on that. If you don't already have a subscription, you can check out Keith's system rankings, the top 100s, the individual organizational rankings, tons of content there to help fill all of this lockout time that you're going to have over the next several weeks. Hopefully not months, hopefully weeks, but if it's months, there's actually enough content there to help fill the void on Twitter. He's at Keith Law. I'm at Derek Van Riper. The Athletic Baseball Show is back on Monday. Have a great weekend.